A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Everyone to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been generously sponsored by Mikey Stone of New York City, longtime listener and fan, who wants to recommend another Jewish podcast that you'll enjoy. But as it happens, I'd like to recommend the same podcast that he wants to, so it gives me an opportunity to personally endorse it. This uh, podcast is called. The Great Sources with Rabbi Schneer Burton. I highly recommend this podcast. It's very interesting. It's clear. It's enjoyable. They're great topics. It's really like a, an in-depth look at major topics in Jewish philosophy. And if anyone wants to broaden and deepen your knowledge of these fundamentals, and it's engaging, it's very interesting. The last one that uh, Rabbi Burton posted that I just listened to last week is it was about Gilgal Nishamas, which is always a cool topic I was interested in and knew zero about. And uh, Rabbi Burton does a great job. So if you want to um, listen to that, it's I recommend it. Um, the, the Great Sources with Rabbi Schneer Burton. Um, so before we get to tonight's uh, topic about the... Uh, Chavetz Chaim Sefer Torah, rather the Sefer Torah that was written in memory of the Chavetz Chaim. I want to read a couple of letters. We got an amazing amount of feedback uh, from the Philadelphia episode, uh, more than usual, in fact, which is unusual because we usually get a lot of feedback from all, uh, especially from the city episodes, but by Philly we got a lot. So I want to just read not even a couple of full letters because we got even some like long ones. Just a few excerpts of some gems, and the other ones we'll save for whenever we do uh, part two. So here's excerpt number one from a letter I received. Um, what is fascinating about Cyrus Adler, who you mentioned in the Philadelphia episode, was that he was born to the home of a cotton planter in Van Buren, Arkansas. He was also on Solomon Schechter's team in the reorganization of the Jewish, Jewish Theological Seminary, and was from the founders of the United Synagogue. Yet, on the other hand, he worked diligently hand-in-hand -hand with the yeshivas in Europe. There are some people who worked in the Joint Distribution Committee as a position. That was their occupation. Adler was not like that. His schedule was extremely busy as it was, 
and he had many other positions and interests that he had no need to get himself involved in dealing with zakah all around the world. This shows what a good person he was and where his heart was placed. So that was a little bit about the greatness of uh, Cyrus Adler, and it's important to, I guess, re- you know, remember that aspect of it, that he was uh, really a lifeline for the yeshivas in the interwar uh, period. So here's um, another excerpt from another letter I got. Um, here it goes. You mentioned that Rabbi Aaron Rothkoff Rakefet was a rabbi in Lower Marion Synagogue for a period of time. This is factually correct. It was less than two years in the ver- very early 60s, and he left due to a controversy that he himself has spoken publicly about and is available on YU Torah. You then mentioned that a grandson of Rabari Levin was the rabbi for a period of time. Please be aware that it was much longer than a period of time. Rabbi Avram Yitzhak Levin, a world-class Talmud Chacham with sterling qualities from the finest familial stock, was brought into the shul in 1967 and remains there as Rabbi Emeritus to this day, over 53 years and counting, the community grew exponentially under his leadership. And that's uh, the excerpt I wanted to read, so that's important to point out as well. So thank you for that. And here's another short uh, excerpt from another letter I got. Rabbi Shalom Kamenetsky, the current Rashiv of Philadelphia, was named for Rabbi Shalom Schneiderman, who you mentioned and who was killed crossing the street by a car accident um, at a young age. He gifted his shul to the yeshiva. Rabbi Herschel Schachter grew up in Philadelphia. His father, Rabbi Melech Schachter, was a rabbi in the shul you mentioned, B'nai Halberstam, founded in 1887. That shul, many years later, was incorporated into the shul you mentioned, B'nai Israel Ohev Tzedek, of which Rabbi Aaron Felder, Zechariah Levracha, was the rabbi. And that's the, what I want to read from that letter. So again, very interesting additions. Thank you for all the feedback you guys send in. Amazing uh, group of listeners we have in the Jewish History Soundbites community. And I want to get to tonight's topic of the Sefer Torah written in memory of the Chafetz Chaim, which is a fascinating uh, story, which I want to get into, and one of my favorites. Um, as we'll see, a lot of uh, very interesting aspects come out of this story. Um, and it's very apropos for the time of season. We recently, just last week, had the fast day of Shiva Asr Batamas, and a, a tragic historical event is one of the reasons we fast on that day, with the fact that the Roman general Apostumus, Turnus Rufus probably, burned a Sefer Torah, very terrible uh, event in Jewish history that the great rabbis incorporated as one of the reasons that we fast, so what better time of year to uh, speak about the opposite, the most opposite of such a tragedy happened, the dedication, one of the uh, greatest dedications of a Sefer Torah in Jewish history um, that took place was in memory of the Chavetz Chaim. So if we tell that story, so that would uh, be very much appropriate. So the primary and pretty much the only source that I'm going to use, the only one that's necessary to use in this context is Dr. Ben-Sion Klebanski, who's, he has the best and, again, pretty much the only comprehensive book on the interwar Lithuanian yeshiva world. Um, absolutely fantastic book, one of my favorites, and it covers this story of the Sefer Torah of the Chavetz Chaim as well. He also happened to have written a 45-page article on it, which is also fantastic, and he's, he's amazing. 
So I use them for a lot of things. He's my Bible for a lot of uh, yeshiva-related topics, but especially for this uh, story about the uh, Chavetz Chaim Sefer Torah. We go a little bit into the background of the Vad HaYeshivas. The story of the Chavetz Chaim Sefer Torah has to be understood in the context of the Vad HaYeshivas because they were the ones who spearheaded the campaign. It was their campaign. It was They initiated it and carried it out. The Vad HaYeshivas was started and founded by the Chavetz Chaim and Reb Chaim Eiser Grzynski, um, in the post-World War I world, where the yeshiva world had been decimated and basically destroyed during World War I, um, numbers and financially, and they're in very desperate straits, and they wanted to revitalize and rebuild the Torah world. So the Chavetz Chaim and Reb Chaim Weiser found this organization called the Vada Yeshivas, which the idea was, a very noble idea and very unique in the annals of Jewish history, you know, didn't, didn't, does not exist today and didn't exist before then. It was quite unique to that era of a unified um, organization that oversees the activities, primarily the financial activities of all the yeshivas. Really, the honest truth is, is that the Vada Yeshivas deserves its own episode, which I hope to get to. But I'm just going to mention it quickly in this context to understand how the Sefer Torah campaign fits into this story. So... What happens is, is that independent Poland rises out of the ashes of World War I and the Treaty of Versailles, and the Poland of the interwar period has very large borders, and it incorporates areas that was, that was very Lithuanian in, uh, in, the, in the Jewish sense, a very non-Hasidic, the yeshiva world, and very what we would call Litvisha Poland, the areas of, areas of eastern Poland, which today are mostly in Belarus, parts of it are in Lithuania, some of it is still in Poland, but, um, but, but huge areas which were all, even Vilna, we have to understand, was uh, in Poland in the interwar period. So the Lithuanian yeshiva world was in Poland during the interwar period, not in Lithuania. Very few yeshivas were in Lithuania. Tels, Kelm, Slabatka, which was part of Kovna, they were all in, uh, one or two others were in, uh, Panovich, were in uh, Lithuania. Most of them were in Poland. And that region of Poland where the, what was called the Lithuanian area, where the yeshivas were, was called the Kersi region. And that's where the Vadi yeshivas operated. And, and they, 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 they created this framework where the Vadi yeshivas would fundraise for the yeshivas in the Kersi region. And they tried to get this campaign going called the Trumas HaShekel, which said every household would donate money and there would be local activists, usually rabbis or, or you know, public speakers, darshanim, who would go around to different shuls and communities and towns speaking about the importance of donating to the Vada Yeshivas and the Trumas HaShekel to donate a special, you know, a couple of zloty every week or every month and to forward it to, to the local rabbi who was in charge and he would forward it to Vilna, where the headquarters were. Now, individual yeshivas were not allowed, under Vada Yeshivas rules, were not allowed to fundraise in this area of Poland, in the Kerasi region. If they wanted to fundraise, they had to go to Warsaw, they had to go to Ludz, or they had to go to America or Western Europe to fundraise, which is another reason why uh, many Russian yeshiva in the interwar period went, because they could not fundraise in the area of Poland where they were, because the Vada Yeshivas was the only one who was licensed to fundraise. And then they distributed the money to the yeshivas, the way they understood according to the size of the yeshiva and the importance of the yeshiva. And all these records exist because most of the Vada Yeshiva's archives were rescued with the Yivo, which was also in Vilna, which uh, exists till today. So we have all their financial records and the correspondence, an amazing wealth of information. 
They had very two very dedicated, overworked and underpaid individuals who ran the whole operation, Rabbi Yosef Shub and Rabbi Berek. They were both unfortunately killed in the Ponar Forest uh, outside of Vilna, they and their entire families by the Nazis. But they were the ones who literally, they're forgotten individuals who held up the entire yeshiva world during the interwar period. They, they, the Vada Yeshiva sent out pushkas, you know, to collection boxes to the different areas of, uh, of, uh, to the towns and to the households. And, um, and the Vada Yeshivas eventually took on other responsibilities. They had a newspaper and educational responsibilities and, it's a very activist role, and we'll talk about that all when we get to the episode of the Vada Yeshivas. But in any event, in the early 1930s, the Vada Yeshivas is facing a tremendous financial crisis for several reasons. First of all, there's economic troubles in Poland. Second of, second of all, there was competition with other institutions, other yeshivas, Zionist organizations. The Vada Yeshivas got into some serious disputes with other groups, with Zionist groups, which was obviously detrimental to fundraising efforts. And then third of all, there was uh, the initial enthusiasm of the volunteers and the activists, the darshanim, the r- local rabbis who were not paid, who had volunteered. They, the initial enthusiasm kind of wore off, it cooled down, and the, out in the field it was less active to, to go after people, to get them to donate, to go from town to town. It was hard work. And, uh, and, uh, and it seemed that the Vod's activity was re- really on its way out. Uh, there didn't seem to be a very good prospects in the future for it to be successful. But then something happened. On the 24th day of El 1933, the Chavetz Chaim passed away. Now, he was the great leader, beloved by all, literally uh, crossed uh, partisan lines. He was one who was unique in, in recent Jewish history as being such an undisputed leader, a beloved by... Uh, worldwide in the Jewish people, became one of the few who became a legend in his own lifetime. And what it meant for when he had passed away was the Jewish world was plunged into mourning. And the Vadi Yeshivas and the Yeshiva world in particular, because he was the patron, he along with Rabbi Chaim Meiser, of the Vadi Yeshivas and the ones who ran it and cared for it. And the Chavetz Chaim also is someone who we've spoken about in other episodes, but uh, definitely... There's always more to speak about the Chavetz Chaim, endless, literally, to speak about the Chavetz Chaim. Um, but uh, it made a tremendous impact, the fact that he wasn't there anymore. So two months later, in November, there's a meeting of the of Rashi Yeshiva, who are affiliated with the Vadi Yeshivas, together with Rav Chaim Meiser in Vilna, and they've come to the decision that they're going to write a Sefer Torah in the Chavetz Chaim's memory, with the proceeds going to the Vadi Yeshivas to fund the Yeshiva world. And they put out a proclamation describing the project and asking everyone to buy a letter or a word. And they mentioned that the Chavetz Chaim passed away during the week that the Parsha, and that week's Parsha stated, In other words, the mitzvah to write a Sefer Torah was the week, was read on that Shabbos during the week that the Chavetz Chaim had passed away. So it was very symbolic. And this proclamation was signed by Reb Chaim Meizer Grajinsky, by Reb Shimon Shkop, those are the two prominent signatures, and then it was followed by a long, long list of rabbis and Rashi Yeshiva who went along with this proclamation. So they started writing the... the, the, the uh, now, the idea of writing a Sefer Torah as a fundraiser or in someone's memory was very common throughout Jewish history. It's been done many times before. In fact, a couple of years before that, Ramir Shapiro in 1929 tried doing the same thing for Yeshiva's Chachmei Lublin, and right after the Vada Yeshiva's initiative, 
that tells yeshiva to save them from financial crisis. They tried copying the idea, and they also tried having that. And you have to keep in mind that tells is in Lithuania, and they're not part of the Vadi Yeshivas. The Vadi Yeshivas took care of the Yeshivas in Poland, in the Kersi region, not the Yeshivas in Lithuania. So tells was kind of on its own. So they also had uh, this idea to, to do that. Uh, the price for a letter was two, they wrote in the proclamation, two zehuvim, two gold zlati, which is more than a regular zlati. In the United States, it went for a half a dollar, for 50 cents for a letter. And there would, there was, they wrote in all the advertisements that there's going to be a book with all the donors' names representing the entire gamut of the Jewish people that would be put somewhere in Radin. And Rabbi Aaron Cutler wrote a letter to Rabbi Chaim Eze that we still aren't sure where we're going to put this book with everyone's names, all the donors, but he suggested that maybe we'll actually place the book, which eventually became five books representing the Chamisha Chum Sheitaira. They, they put him, Rebaran Cutler suggested they should put, be put in the oil right next to the Chavetz Chaim's gravesite in Raden. So this was thought to bring in a huge income to the Vada Yeshivas. There's over 300,000 letters in the, in the Sefer Torah, so that would be 600,000 gold zloty. That would be tremendous, and many, many of them were optimistic. And Reb Shapsi Yegel, the, the Yogel, the Rosh Hashiva in Slonim, he wrote a letter to the Vada Yeshivas that perhaps there would be so much enthusiasm and so much demand for letters that there would be that would uh, that they would have to write a second sefer Torah and that would bring in even more funding for the yeshivas and there would be tremendous support for the yeshiva world and that would be great. So they were very enthusiastic about this program. They even neglected the Trumas Hashekel regular campaign and uh, and they invested all their energies into the sefer Torah campaign. They started advertising in the newspapers, and the actual campaign was kicked off in Vilna with pomp and ceremony. In December 1933, they hired a band. There was a, a an organization in Poland in the interwar, and actually in several countries, not only in Poland, it's organized by Zev Jabotinsky, the revisionist Zionist. Uh, the Jabotinsky Zionist, they orga- had an organization called Brit HaChayal, of Jewish war veterans. Uh, J- many Jews had served in World War I, so there was the Jewish war veterans organization, and uh, they had... And they also had a band. So the local Brita Chayal band was hired to play at the ceremony, and that kind of kicked off the campaign. So this was a huge project for the Vad HaYeshivas, and they had to set up a special committee for this purpose, which they called the Vad Lexiva Sefer Torah. And they're under severe time constraints, because it had to be done while the mourning and the memory of the Chavetz Chaim was still fresh, this is what they were capitalizing on. This is what's going to galvanize people to want to donate, to want to participate, because of the memory of the Chavetz Chaim was so fresh to everyone. And you couldn't wait. You couldn't, uh, you know, it's, 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 it has to be when everyone is still emotionally raw. Rabbi Aaron Cutler wrote several times to the Vada Yeshivas that time is of utmost importance and the first impressions after the Chavetz Chaim's passing count, and we need to jump on it and no time to lose, which is very characteristic for Rabbi Aaron Cutler in general. But over here, it really uh, was time was of essence. So they send messengers, literally uh, emissaries of the of the Vada Yeshivas across Poland, and most uh, Vada activities until this time had been limited, like I said, to that area of Poland called the Kersi region. But now they said, what do you mean? This is not limited to just this area. This is going to be a worldwide campaign. So the first of all, all over Poland, even down to Galicia, and they got a lot of donors in Lodz. They Lodz actually... Uh, in Poland gave lo- a lot, a lot of letters were bought there, a lot of money was raised there. In Warsaw, they sent down, oh, like I said, all the way down to Galicia, to, to Lvov, which actually did not give so much money, they gave very little. 
but um, it was considered so urgent that Russia Yeshiva themselves went out to campaign for the letters, to buy letters for the Zerbaran Cutler, asked even that the Yeshiva students of his Yeshiva in Kletzk and other Yeshiva students should leave and go accompany the Russia Yeshiva and campaign for this project. That's how much importance that he attached to it. Lazy Little Finkel, whose yard site actually was today, his 55th yard site, was very involved in campaigning and going around Poland. He even got Mir, Mir Talmidim involved as well. The campaign goes way beyond Poland. Uh, it was a worldwide campaign. Shmuel Greinemann was dispatched by the Vada Yeshivas to Belgium and then to the United States, where he actually stayed for several months campaigning for the Safer Tire project. Herbert Ram Kalmanovich, who was the Rav and Tiktin at the time, who was very involved in the Vada Yeshivas, was dispatched to Eretz Yisrael. And with a letter that he carried from Reb Chaim Eiser Grzynski, addressed to Rav Kook, the chief rabbi. And, and, and Rechaim Moizer, in that letter, he apologizes to Rav Kook. He says, I know, how can I send an emissary to Israel to fundraise and ask you to assist him in the fundraising? I know the de- desperate situation of the yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael and the poverty in the yeshiv in Eretz Yisrael, but I feel, this is where Rechaim Moizer writes to Rav Kook, I feel that this campaign is so important. And there's right now close to 5,000 yeshiva students under the Vada Yeshivas' jurisdiction in Poland. So this is a major campaign that we need to do for the Sefer Torah, and that's why we're fundraising even there. Letters for the Sefer Torah were sold in Johannesburg, in South Africa, where Chaim Oizer brother-in-law, Ritzel Kosovsky, he ran the campaign because he was the local rabbi. Letters were sold in Latvia, in England, back to Israel in B'nai Brak, the new yeshiv there, and even as far away as Uruguay, and of course across the United States as well. So how did the Vad HaYeshivas convince potential buyers? So they're very creative, and it sounds, you might think that it sounds either, excuse me, Hasidic in style, or contemporary, something that really comes from 2020 in, in that style. But we're, I want to remind you that we're talking about a very, very Litvish world and organization, the Vad HaYeshivas, and it's the 1930s. And yet they had this amazing advertising campaign that they wrote, buy in memory of a loved one, buy in memory in, in the merit of your children, uh, uh, buy and you'll get brachas from the Chafetz Chaim. And then they had an ad that, that said something along the lines of, and all these stuff exists, and all the Hebrew uh, newspapers, Yiddish newspapers are archived today. This is all, it all exists. So this is the gist of a advertisement in a Yiddish paper. Who hasn't heard of the Chavetz Chaim? Who hasn't gone to Radin to get a bracha from the Chavetz Chaim for health, for livelihood, or something similar? If your name is registered as a donor for the Sefer Torah, then blessing will come to your home. You'll be able to receive the same brachas that the Chavetz Chaim bestowed when he was still alive. And although the Sefer and 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 the uh, and and uh, and the Sefer Torah, and through the Sefer Torah, your your name is going to be written in the special book with all the names of all the donors, which is going to be next to the Chavetz Chaim's Kever and Radin. And the Vada Yeshivas goes on to prepare special certificates that they send to every donor, specifying their name and the letter that they donated. It was very colorful with calligraphy, and since they send out literally thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Certificates like this, many exist still today. You can see pictures of them, and they're, they're all over. And uh, But it was a complicated procedure to distribute the letters, because you're buying a specific letter. And there's no instant communication, there's no internet in those days. So you have emissaries of the Vat all over the world selling letters. How do you know that there's no double selling? So they had a very good system. Each emissary of the Vat was given specific letters that he's allowed to sell. He's not allowed to sell any other letters. 
But there were times that people made special requests. No, I want to buy a different letter. So then that emissary had to forward the request to the central office in Vilna of the Varishivas, and they coordinated it. And they decided if that, they found out from whatever emissary had those letters, if it's still available, then they would, and they would transfer it. There was a group of sick Jews in a hospital in Otvatsk, outside of Warsaw. They asked for special permission from the Vilna-based Vad if they can buy the word Yerape in Parshish Mishpatim. And they wrote in that letter that we hope to merit a speedy recovery as a result. So how was the actual Sefer Torah written? Sir Chaim Eiser appoints a local Sefer of Shmuel Segal in Vilna to write it. And he started out to write it, but he was an elderly uh, man at the time and he passed away in the middle. So they asked Rav Shapsi Yogel in Slonim to, to, to find someone in Slonim perhaps, uh, and he was not successful in finding someone. So finally Rav Aaron Cutler came through uh, in the clutch and he found someone in Kletsk, a, f- a cipher by the name of Yecheskel Pikus, and he finished it up quite cl- quickly, and he wrote a letter to the Vada initially that he promises to write it according to the Mishnah Brura, which of course you have to write it according to the Mishnah Brura if it was in memory of the Chavetz Chaim. And it was finished in time for the second yard site of the Chavetz Chaim. It actually took him a while to get paid. We have letters that he wrote several months later, and he's writing to the Vada Yeshivas. He said, I haven't gotten paid yet. You still owe me for the last installments. It gives you an insight a little bit to the financial challenges of the Vada Yeshiva is the lack of manpower. It's, uh, you know, it wasn't easy. It wasn't a simple uh, a task uh, in a position of the Vada. So the Vada calls a, pl- a meeting to plan the Siyam and the Achnasa Sefer Torah. They send out invitations uh, ma- mailed out all over the world to all the donors. They put it in all the newspapers. They're still trying to sell many of the letters, right? Many were sold, but many were not. And the campaign had its ups and downs. Enthusiasm for the campaign went up and down. Um, so they, they tried to generate publicity by the Chanasev Torah to be able to sell additional letters. They had Yecheskel Pikus, the cipher, write the last part of the Sefer Torah in Vilna, in the Vad offices, to, in, in order to increase publicity. Then they rent out for the Chanasev Torah, they rent out a very prominent hall in Vilna, a couple of days before the Chavetz Chaim's yard site, and they sell tickets. There's no free entrance. And they filled the hall to overflow capacity. There was absolutely no social distancing at this uh, event. The opening speech was by Reb Henech Aigish, the Marcheshes. And there was a special chazan brought in that said the Kelmole for the Chavetz Chaim. And then they had a band and there was dancing and people were crying and dancing and singing. It was a very powerful and special moment. The Sefer Torah comes in, the Achnaz Sefer Torah. They sell off the, the mantle, the, the cover for the Sefer Torah and the crown. They sell that off also to donors. They try selling more letters, then they had more speeches, then they again tried selling more letters. It was a very uh, incredible and memorable event. Um, a couple of days later, they went took it to the streets. They brought it to the great shul, the great synagogue, the Besknesis Hagadol of Vilma. The streets were full. People described it as a sea full of black thousands dancing in the streets with torches. The local police had to keep order. It was a major event in Vilna. They bring it to the Great Shul of Vilna. Why to the Great Shul of Vilna? This was the exact place that the Chavetz Chaim had announced the founding of the Vada Yeshivas in 1923. In other words, it became full circle. They bring it to the exact same place where the Chavetz Chaim came and announced the founding and here they're commemorating the Sefer Torah. The next day, it was ready for the Chavetz Chaim's yard site. It was the second yard site, so they rent a special bus to bring the Sefer Torah to Raden. And on the way, the attraction on the bus was that there were stories that were related about the Chavetz Chaim on the way, which is incredible, because when I'm on a bus 
with a group in, in, normal, in the normal world when we have groups going. So we go from Vilna to Radin on the bus. And what do we do on the way to Radin? I say stories about the Chavetz Chaim. So I guess we're continuing the tradition from this uh, event here that they said stories on the way to Radin. And there was actually on the way, they passed through Aishishuk. And there was a huge crowd there that forced them to stop the bus and dance their way through town. When they finally got to Radin, the crowd was waiting for them. They had to get, they got off the bus and they set up a chuppah and they danced again into town. The whole place was decorated. They go to the shul in Radin. They take out the Sefer Torah. There were speeches. They try selling more letters of the Sefer Torah. Then they go on to the yeshiva. The festivities literally didn't end. Um, and, and then they, uh, and then they, you know, they, uh, finally brought it into the Radin yeshiva where it remains. And now they tried, they tried selling the remaining. There were still letters that they hadn't sold off yet. Unfortunately, they were unable to finish selling it. So they, the Vada Yeshivas continued selling it even afterwards, uh, for months, literally for months. They kept on advertising, please, we're still trying to donate, you know, find more donors to buy more letters. And, uh, they even wrote that anyone who donates 36 Zehuvim, gold zloti, then their name will be written in that book in gold letters, which, you know, is much greater than having it written in, uh, and not gold letters. They didn't sell everything, but it did bring some money to the Vada Yeshivas. It did alleviate the burden drop. Uh, although, on the other hand, the Truma Sashekel campaign might have suffered as a result, but it was a, a, an amazing uh, a, a attempt, and they brought in a significant amount of funding to the Vada Yeshivas. However, there was another benefit that came, which I want to talk about for a couple of minutes, that Kulbensky uh, elaborates on. Amazing uh, side benefit that came out from this whole campaign, and that's what I'm going to end off with. It really brought a certain sense of unity to the Jewish people, and this was at a time that unity was not in abundance. This is a very, very hard time in many, many ways for the Jewish people, and we could talk endlessly about uh, about the Jews of Eastern Europe and the Jews worldwide, and in Israel and other places in the world during a very challenging time of the interwar period. Um, a time of change, a time of politics, and there was not a lot of unity. And here, this was something that was above ideology. It was above politics. This was this belonged to the Jewish people. At the opening ceremony, the ones who kept order in the hall was the joint effort of the Tzirei Agudis Yisrael, the youth group of the Agudis Yisrael, and the Tzirei Mizrahi. And this, and this. The, the, uh, Avadi Shiva is orchestrated on purpose because they wanted this to be a campaign of unity above ideology with the message being that the Torah and the Chavetz Chaim belong to the Jewish people. And this was especially obviously important for the Avadi Shivas from the outset as they had become recently embroiled in politically related disputes, which they obviously wanted to avoid. And it was a factor in the lower uh, fundraising lately. So they wanted to get past that. However, what the other side of it was, was interestingly enough, politics often decided which letters that their people, different organizations are going to buy. We have the, in, in Kletsk, the Tzeire Aguda, they bought the letters in the Sefer Torah of Yaakov Rosenheim, the head of Agudas Yisrael. And the local Beitar, Beitar was obviously the revisionist Zionist of Jabotinsky, they buy the letters of Zev Jabotinsky. In Bialystok, the Mizrahi, they bought the entire Pasuk of Matoivu Oihalecha Yaakov Mishkanesecha Yisrael, but what did the revisionist Zionists in Bialystok buy? This is one of my favorite. They buy the Pusik by the Meraglim, where Kalev says, We're going to be able to come to the land of Israel. But they bought a Pusik. But the revisionist Zionists, who were for the most part secular, 
They bought a Pasik. In Navardic, the Zionists bought the letters of Herzl. And the Beitar bought the word Menorah. And others, other organizations either dedicated or hinted with letters to Avram Stavsky and Abachi Meir and others who had been recently arrested in connection with the Elazarov murder. So you have ideological acquisitions of Sifrei Torah and the Vada Yeshiva is accepted. It was understood, it was accepted, and it was considered a great time of unity for the Jewish people. Unfortunately, the leftist parties, the Bund, socialists, socialist Zionists, like the Paul Etzion, small, the left, uh, they were very underrepresented in this campaign, though we do have some isolated testimonies of Bundists and, and Paul Etzion's small members who were very distant from observant Judaism that they also purchased letters, which is very unique. Um, but there was this fleeting sense of unity within the Orthodox camp, which was very important. It was very divisive and divided within the Orthodox camp until that point, and even elements of the non-Orthodox world as well. And that was a major accomplishment beyond the actual fundraiser for the Vada Yeshivas. So this is a little bit about the story of the great campaign of the Sefer Torah in memory of the Chavetz Chaim. I want to remind you to check out the great sources with Rav Schneer Burton, that podcast as well. And this is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com. Uh, for questions, comments, sources, tours and trips to places of interest in the Jewish world, check out our website at YehudaGeber.com. Uh, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.